The teaching for this evening is based on Jonah 3, 1 through 10. This is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great and exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. We're back again here in Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. This week, and uh, I have to say that there are so many entry points or doorways or themes that, that I would love to address or talk about, but the one I really want to talk to you about tonight, I think, becomes the most obvious when we juxtapose the very beginning of the book of Jonah, verses 1 to 3 in chapter 1, and then verses 1 to 3 here in chapter 3. Let me just read these to you, just back to back, so you kind of get the the sense of it. In chapter 1, verse 1, begins like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for there evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Fast forward, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I think just on the surface of it, you can look at those two passages and something's happened in Jonah's life. Something radical has happened. The book begins with him running away from God when when addressed by God. And here in chapter 3, it's as if almost we're starting over. It's take two, as it were. Jonah, again, God calls him to go to Nineveh, but this time he gets up and he goes. And the last couple weeks, we've been looking at the answer to the question, what, is, what would give an account, what explains this change from the first time that God calls Jonah to the second time? And the simple answer that we've been seeing 
though it was certainly a tumultuous experience for him, is that God woke him up. God brought spiritual renewal into his life. And he did that even through Jonah's disobedience. And so what I want to talk with you tonight about is spiritual renewal. In this, in this chapter, in chapter 3, there is an incredible revival that happens in this great city of Nineveh. And what I want you to see here is that spiritual renewal is God calling you out of yourself and into his grace. Spiritual renewal is God calling you out of yourself and into his grace. And I think it's very safe to say that uh, Jonah's experience that we saw in chapter 2 is a dramatic one. It's an intense one. He's on a boat in the Mediterranean in the midst of an enormous storm and gets thrown overboard and is near drowning and is swallowed by a fish for three days and three nights and then is spit out on dry land. That's not your average experience of spiritual renewal. (laughs) But what we find in this passage tonight is the patterns of spiritual renewal that must be there for anyone. And we see it reflected in these Ninevites, which as we've already noticed, if you've been tracking, that the Ninevites are the hated enemies of God's people, arch enemies to Jonah. And so what I want us to see tonight is even though so far Jonah's experience has been very dramatic uh, and an incredible illustration of how God can bring about spiritual renewal, you you, you might be tempted to uh, go one of two ways. Well, that's never happened to me, so how do I know if God's really at work in my life? Or you might read stories like that and and think, I don't ever want anything to do (laughs) with that kind of God. So what is spiritual renewal? How can you find it? How do you look for it? What is it where does it come from? What I want to do tonight is look with you at this passage and we're gonna we're gonna look at three things together. Where it begins, what it looks like, and how it can thrive. So where spiritual renewal begins, what it looks like and how it can thrive. So first Let's look just briefly at where it begins. Notice that, like I read just a moment ago from verse chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 1, God's word is driving the story forward. That all spiritual renewal begins with God's word. And this is especially true now that Jonah, after this experience that he's had, that God has turned him back. He's softened him. Jonah himself has realized his desperate need for God's renewing grace. He's now ready. Not perfectly, not totally, but he is now ready to go to Nineveh because he has tasted and understood his need, the very same need that the Ninevites have. And God's word has addressed him, and now as Jonah goes to Nineveh, this spiritual renewal that we see here, it begins with God's word. In verse 2, when, when God says, go to Nineveh and call out against it the message that I tell you. Well, what is the message that God gives Jonah? Look in verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city. 
and going a day's journey, he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, you know, lots, it's, I think, somewhat sort of, um, uh, there's a habit among preachers to, to uh, make fun of his uh, sermon here. It's about six or seven words long, and it's nothing but condemnation. <laughs> and everybody's converted. If, you know, if it was just that simple, that'd be great. But I don't think, this is, this is not the sum total of Jonah's sermon here. It's a sampling of it. But I do think we should see it as the main point. That what God wants Jonah to say is, you are in grave spiritual danger. That you are under God's judgment. And you know, a lot of times this book is also presented, and it's a theme we could certainly look at, uh, about evangelism. My guess is it would be hard-pressed to find many books written on evangelism today that would lead with this. In 40 days, you're going to get wiped out. So why is that here? What is the point of that message? And I think the simplest way to understand this is that Spiritual renewal that begins with God's word, it must include the bad news if we're ever going to enjoy the good news. There simply is no Christian gospel without the bad news. There is no good news without God's just requirements and your failure to meet them humbling you, breaking you, exposing you. That without the bad news, we simply cannot enjoy the good news. And this is actually a pattern that we see in the Bible. One of the best places you could go would be to Romans, Paul's letter to Rome. The first three chapters are pretty much nothing but bad news. And chapter 4 through 8 is all good news. And it's the bad news that sets us up to understand who we really are, how desperate we really are, and what God has done to meet that need. So let me give you just a sampling of this pattern. In Romans 3, Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one hits his target. And therefore, he even says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are people who have no hope and are without God in the world. We're in a desperate law situation. And why is that? Why are we without hope? Paul, again, and this would be in Romans chapter 6, because the wages of sin is death. That's the pattern that we see in the Bible. We were made for God's glory and and for relationship with him, and and we've rebelled against him. And we have sought to be our own Lord and Savior. And the scriptures, where all spiritual renewal begins, the scriptures are how God begins to wake us up, how he begins to reveal to us and show us our true spiritual condition. And so when he does that, what does that look like? What does that look like? in your life. 
So if that's what, where it begins, let's look at what this spiritual renewal looks like in verses 5 to 9 here in this story. In verse 5, after Jonah has uh, proclaimed his message that in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed, verse 5, the very first thing, the people believe God. The very first piece of evidence in your life that spiritual, that God is bringing about spiritual renewal, that he's waking you up, is you find yourself believing what he has said. And maybe even against what you would consider your better judgment. But you begin to believe him. Maybe to put it another way, you begin to believe his word from the outside more than you believe your own word from the inside. Now, when that happens, as we see here in the story, as all these Ninevites, they believe God, what, what does that result in? Look here in verse 5 again. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, verse 5 here, that bit I just read, really is a summary of the next uh, verse 6, 7, and 8, and 9. Here what we have in verse 5 through 8 is what we could call uh, conviction. Conviction for sin. They believed God, and, and the first ingredient of this spiritual renewal is that God's word begins to shine light into the darkness of your heart. It's, in other words, it's a self-discovery now that's shaped not by your own self-assessment or uh, people in your workplace or uh, the world's assessment of you, but by God's word. And in fact, a great example of this is at the day of Pentecost when after the Apostle Peter is preaching and those who are standing there listening to, to him turn to him and they say, what must we do in light of this message you have been preaching? To which Peter answers, you should be baptized, repent and believe. They were cut to the heart by this word. And as a result of Jonah's message, the people of Nineveh, they were convicted. They were convinced of their spiritual danger. But not, not only that, not only were they convicted by it, they began to grieve over it. It began to bother them. I once heard uh, an older uh, Christian minister reflecting on, how do you know if you're growing spiritually? And I thought very wisely, he said, that's a very hard question to answer. Because so much of Christian experience is maybe one or two steps forward and four or five back. And it can be very hard to know, especially without people on the outside giving you some perspective. But what he did say that I thought was incredibly helpful was this. He said, I don't really know how much I've grown in particular areas. But the reason I know or I believe that I have grown in grace is not necessarily that I sin less. But when I sin, it hurts more. That's grief over sin. 
It's beginning to hate sin. Not because it's inconvenient or that it may have very bad consequences. But you begin to to grieve over and mourn over it because it hurts God. And it's against him and him alone. And so what we see here in verses 5 through 8 is an incredible exhibition and display of self-humility. The people of Nineveh, from the king all the way to their livestock, are fasting. They're taking off, especially the king, his robes of royalty and stature and significance and power. And he puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes, which is signs of mourning and humility of desperation, of need. And not only do the people do it, but the decree is for all of the livestock, which different commentators take that differently. But I think it's very safe to say, in the ancient Near East, what were your assets? Your assets, in many ways, were your livestock. It was the produce that you had. This is a way for the Ninevites to say everything about us, not just, uh, not just our hearts, but everything we own, all that we have is in need of mercy. So there's not only conviction, there's grief over sin. And then the third ingredient here would, we would call repentance and faith. It's a turning from and a turning to. Look here again in verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Think of that as turning away from. And then verse 9, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. It's a turning toward this God of mercy. And I think it's important here to, to at least reflect on a little bit when they say the Ninevites Let everyone turn from his evil way. That's a way of describing a course of life, a path you're on. That all spiritual renewal, it arrests you. It stops you from the, the path you've been pursuing. It shines a light on that as a path to destruction and opens you to a new way of path, a path to life. It's much bigger than just a few do's and don'ts here or there. It's the entire trajectory of your life that must turn. Here, also, when they say the violence that is in his hands, think about the the details of your life, the decisions you make, the works that you do. There is a whole life, whole-souled turning from, but also a turning to. Who knows? God may turn and relent. Now, think about this for a moment. Remember that where we began, when I said that spiritual renewal is God calling you out of yourself and into his grace. This was something that the Ninevites in this story were just beginning to discover, and and it was evidenced here in this question in verse 9. Who knows? Have you ever wondered that? Who knows? I'm beginning to see the darkness of my own life and my own heart, who knows, could could God actually relent? Could he actually, would he turn and have mercy on me? 
But what I want you to see here, and this is how I want you to, to help you to think about how does spiritual renewal thrive? How does it become part of the fabric of your life, not just an occasional reality? The way that spiritual renewal can thrive in your life is that God has to answer that question. Who knows? And God answers that question for us in the gospel. Let me show you how how this works. Look in verse 10. After the Ninevites hear Jonah and, and they believe what God has said and they repent, verse 10, God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. I should have looked this up, but I think in the original King James Version, it actually says God repented. It's the same, that the word that is used for God relented and turned is the same word that's used of the Ninevites turning from their sin. Now, what are you supposed to do? What does that mean? What does it mean that God would turn from what he said he was going to do and then not do it? Well, it can't mean that God is turning from evil. So what does it mean? For God to turn from his, what he was said he was going to do is simply this, that God is not going to treat them according to what their sins deserve. Now, what that means for us is that on the cross, God sent Jesus to suffer and to die. The cross of Jesus is God's turning from doing to us what we deserve. The gospel is God's declaration of mercy. It's the answer to the question, who knows? Do you think God might turn away? Yes, we do know. And God answers that question, that he would turn away Now, listen, you see, in the cross, when God sent his son to suffer and to die, that's how you can discover what it means for God to turn from his anger. Now, let me help you try to drive this home a little bit by asking you a question. How would you respond to the statement, your bill has been paid? I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, but let's say you're in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and you order your meal and you come up to the window to get it and to pay for it and, and the cashier says, um, that car ahead of you just paid for your meal. Okay, that's great. Uh, I guess I don't have to pay for my lunch today. And perhaps you never even know who that person is. And if you did, it would be great. I mean, you could say, gee, thanks, I... Thanks for doing that. Uh, not a, it's, a, not, it's, a, it's nice, not a great deal, but it, you know, let's say you go to Highlands and uh, somebody pays your bill. That's pretty cool. I would be really thankful if I went to Highlands for dinner and someone paid my bill. 
But what if someone came to you and they said, um, I'm going to pay your mortgage for you. You never again in the rest of your life have to pay a mortgage bill. I would be really excited about that. Now, keep going with that and think about this for a moment. In the gospel, Jesus Christ, he paid a debt that you have. And you cannot pay it. In the gospel, Jesus, he did not pay the debt that we could otherwise pay ourselves if given enough time or effort. He paid a debt that you simply cannot pay no matter what you do or how hard you work. But God in his grace, he made Jesus to be your debt. He made Jesus to be sin, your sin, so that you might become the righteousness of God. You know, sometimes it's hard for people when we talk about God's judgment and justice. But here's the thing. If God is not just, if his judgment doesn't matter, then you should be outraged Because it's actually God's justice displayed on the cross. And it's fully satisfied in Jesus that can assure you that his love and his mercy will never be taken away from you. This is how spiritual renewal thrives. It thrives by looking at the cross and on the cross God not just turning away from his justice and his judgment, but now turning toward you as a father to a child, a father to a son or a daughter, and loving you and accepting you and welcoming you as you are in order to make you into the one that he intended you to be. This is what spiritual renewal is. It's God calling you out of yourself into his grace, freely given to you in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that as as we reflect on this story and what you do through Jonah in the lives of the Ninevites, in this great city of great power and wealth and status in the ancient Near East, and bring them to their knees in humility and conviction and repentance and faith, however uh, weak it may have been. Father, we pray that you would help us to see your work of spiritual life, of renewal in our own hearts, in our church, and even throughout our city. A renewal that comes from your word and leads to deep conviction because we begin to see that you're right, that we're not, and that we need you. We pray that you would lead us to repent and to trust in you, to turn from a life that runs away from you 
and to turn toward you, a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of of justice, all of which meet on the cross. Help us to know that you have turned toward us and will never turn away because of Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.